0: We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. March break in Canada and we are free to go out without any restrictions. Well, you should still wear a hat. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Here's Scott Thompson! Good
1: afternoon, it is 900 CHML, I'm Scott Thompson, Hamilton Today, the gang's all here. We are honoring Canadiana, of course, the day after uh, the Juno Awards, and Avril Lavigne last night getting the Fan Choice Award, and uh, yeah, so, you know, I feel a little Canadian. I feel a little pride there, uh, it's all part of Hamilton today. Uh, and of course, uh, your chance to win, too, coming up with Hammerhead Trivia, right after the 5 o'clock news, your chance to win. How well do you know the history of this great... Hey,
0: what what, what, what? what? Hey, what's going on? Who's, who's that? Shut. Who is that? What? 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 Who is that? What, what? the heck is? Oh my God! Oh my God!
1: Holy jeez. Oh my! Put your clothes on!
2: What? What? What is that? What the heck was that? I think they were naked. I think across their chest it said Sarah Jamma for Hamilton Centre NDP. <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, uh, anyway, I'm not sure if you watched the big broadcast last night, but um, there is that a streaker? Because at the end of the day, I didn't see any streaking. You don't walk on stage and jump up and down and get your bahoonies to, you know, and wave your hands at people. Um, you know, I don't know. Looking for some sort of precipitate. Uh, protect- no, I mean, uh, uh no, no, never mind. Uh, so, You've anyway, gotta be very s- delicate with your wording here. Yes, the- uh, participation, I guess is what I was going to say. But anyway, you know, streakers would just like whoosh, go across the stage, like, oh my God, there's somebody with no clothes. We to go. You know, if like, yeah, pull up uh, Ray Stevens, the streak. So it was very quick. It was very whatever. And, you know, the first thing I noticed, and somebody else commented on this, was that everybody just kind of stood around and watched. There was that split second, like, is there not security? Like, Hello when. Everyone, this is see, the listen. News reporter with all the news that is news across the nation on the scene at the supermarket.
0: There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was standing over there by the tomatoes, and here he comes, running through the pole beans, through the fruits and vegetables, naked as a jaybird. And I hollered over to Ethel, I said, Don't look at (laughs) those, and it's too late. She'd already been in since.
3: he comes.
0: Here we go And just this fast From left to right
1: There they go, they're gone They're gone, it's over They don't stand up and jiggle As if it's a stag A stag for the green belt Uh, Anyway, I I thought it was, and in true Canadian fashion, everybody just goes, oh, well, look at that. Isn't that nice? I'm not even sure they would have flinched, you know, unless she had maybe an automatic weapon or something. Then maybe, oh, geez, this looks serious. Uh, But no, everybody's kind of, and even Avril was kind of laughing at her, of course, before, uh, well, here's the actual clip of what Avril did say and how much of it we can, uh, because, you know, Avril, she lets it go when she wants and did last night.
3: Sold out shows in Canada,
4: the U.S. Get the f*** off. Get the f*** off.
1: <laughs> so that was the situation last night in uh, Edmonton. Like, you don't get time to yell a streaker for a streaker to get off. Because by the time, and that was the whole idea behind it, before you realized someone naked had just run before your eyes, it was over. But now it's different. It's like the streaker wants attention. The last thing a streaker would want is to get caught. And many of the times they had masks or or whatever over their over their face, so that to be careful again, uh over their face to make sure that uh, nobody saw them or recognized them. It happened at the Academy Awards, I think, one year. It happened on Johnny Carson. It was all the trend. Ray Stevens got a hit record out of it. But the streak of today is a little different. It's um it's more of a party. <laughs> it's it's more of a gathering. It's not quick on, quick off. It's I'm in, I'm here, and now I'm gonna jump up and down and uh and, and wave at you. And, you know, until everybody gets a good look at the message that's painted all over, you know. And again, like during this period of the streak, the early 70s, I mean, it was it was a protest time as well. People were all kinds of. Well, you know what? The exact same thing that was going on now is going on then. Uh, just, you know, uh, advancement of the issues. So uh, anyway, I thought it was kind of unusual that it took so long because usually when streakers go out, There's like a security guy right behind them. Like, how the hell did that? Oh, my God. Someone got past the gate. Go get him, get him, get him, get him. And these guys are kind of like, you know, they're sitting there having sandwiches. Oh, look at that. Is this part of the show? I missed this during rehearsal. Uh,
2: 2023, the year of security violations.
1: (laughs) Or. Or was it? Maybe it's just part of the show. I don't know. But anyway, um, um, there you have it. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, was uh, the by-election from one extreme to the other. And uh, Liz uh, Russell, a producer, when Will's not here for us and, of course, just a great producer, said, you know, we should try to get all the by-election candidates on. So we tried to do that. And we were successful with two out of the four. We got the Green Party and the Liberals. And on Friday, uh, Sarah Jamma was booked for the NDP to come on yesterday. And then at the very last minute, like less than 30 minutes, uh, she's supposed to be on at 4.20, I think. She canceled. And uh, no explanation. We haven't heard back from her today. We haven't heard anything from the party. We haven't heard anything about anything. So um, I just wanted to say that, you know, when you do all of this, you have to give everybody equal time, which we have attempted to do. We've also done the same thing with the conservatives who have declined the offer. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to get you up to date on all of that and where we are. And uh, that'll be it for us. And uh, the by-election candidates did our best to bring all of them to you and give you a chance to meet them. Uh, two accepted and two did not, and I'll leave the rest up to you. Well, Weber is uh, spinning the Nickelback in celebration of last night, perhaps Canadians' favorite whipping band. Uh, you know that? Uh, and I was saying to this a uh, Will off air. I remember when Brian Adams was at the height of his career in the 1980s and was literally a worldwide star, and Canada still wouldn't give him time of day. I don't know. Sometimes when things become successful, uh, we learn to pee on our shoes. Let's leave it at that. All right. Um, as we were talking about earlier, and you may have seen or heard, uh, and Will and I are discussing this off air that, you know, is it really a streaker? It's not. He called it a naked protester um, because, again, as with the song, in, in the old times that it would happen back in the 70s, the speaker would whew, come on one side of the stage and be gone off the other, usually face covered. And uh, last night it seemed a bit more jovial, more like a dance party, <laughs> more like a topless dance party. And, um, and you know, the person jumping around and making sure that uh, their body was visible because of the, the messaging on it. Uh, to talk about the history of running around naked, let's bring in Bill, uh, Bill Breo, TV critic and author. He is with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, I, I am,
5: Scott. It's good to be an expert in running around naked. But, there you go. Uh, I'll, I thought I'll do you, my I, best.
1: I thought you were the man for the job here when it comes to these sort of TV. And, and you know, let's be honest, at the end of the day, here we are the next day talking about the Juno Awards, which is exactly what it's all about. Um, but I don't know if you saw this clip, which is really I did all oh, I did see. I, I didn't see too much of the show. However, um, I noticed that this was more of a demonstration, a naked protest, as Will called it, as opposed to a streaker, which in the old days would go on one side of the stage and off the other, and it was over before you even knew it happened.
5: Yeah, certainly way back in the day at the Oscars when David Niven was streaked, uh, I don't know, 50 years ago or almost, yeah. uh, that was, uh, that was a moment. And you're right, well, most of us didn't see it because it ran by, he ran by so fast. And Niven was quick enough on his feet to come up with a pretty good, uh, quip about the guy showing off his shortcomings or something, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, yeah, this other thing is just you're right. Someone standing there naked. The only reason we're talking about the Junos today is thanks to this person. They should pay her money. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're going to protest like the Greenbelt or whatever, um, and you need to get the premier's attention, what better way than with a naked woman uh, to try and get Doug, <laughs> right? Doug, Doug, Doug never, Ford's attention. Like I never thought with,
1: of that. Yeah, that's perfect. That was really well thought out. So. Uh, probably mission accomplished and you know again going back to what you were and I remember watching the Academy Awards with my parents because that was a big deal way back then uh, yeah. whatever year it was I guess it's the early 70s sometime and and the whole the whole irony of it all what made it so funny was David Niven was such a distinguished type of actor and then to have this go on and as you mentioned the uh the gentlemanly quip afterwards it was yeah. a complete contrast uh to what we're sort of seeing now it was it was it was it was a uh, night and day really Really compared,
5: he was a witty guy and uh, the right, the right person to be on the spot at that time. But back then, at the uh, stuff would happen every year. You'd have Sashi Littlefeather going up to accept for Marlon Brando, and yeah. there was always some crazy thing happening, and that was part of the reason you watch. So if the Junos only knew that this would happen to promote it, you know, to let people know, hey, the night after the Oscars, we're going to air. The Juno. Some genius with a calendar decided to put this award show on a day after the Oscars. But yeah. if they could only have said "see naked women," uh, tune in, uh, you
1: know, Monday on CBC might have helped. Like Bare Naked Ladies, is it the band or is it really? Um, Perfect, thank you, yeah. <laughs> you know, good. But I remember uh, during the day when Dick Clark was still actively producing TV and such, he would hold live TV shows with the whole, ex- creating that whole excitement of the early days of TV when things were live and anything could happen, anything could go wrong. And my goodness, we saw it at the Oscars last year when Will Smith goes up and takes yes. a swipe at Chris Rock. So. So should they maybe be selling that more? Well, the fact that it's live is the feature. You know, it's
5: why do we watch Saturday Night Live? Something might happen. And uh, I think there's so few live showcases now. So, yeah, you know, you don't want it just to be dull. And uh, I think that uh, the unpredictability is part of the fun. Um, You know, sometimes it can go off the rails and be not fun at all. But uh, I think in these silly instances, it's harmless and uh, something to talk about on the
1: radio the next day. And really, when you think about it, the slap isn't it yesterday's streak because, you know, what happened last night, everybody kind of laughs it off because they've seen it before. The first time it happened way back when uh, it was a total surprise, just as what we saw last year uh, was a complete surprise. So it's sort of the same thing, just two different forms. What's shocking of the day?
5: Yeah. If you remember back, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, Alanis Morissette, I think, co-hosted. I remember that (laughs) and uh, wore a bodysuit that had sort of fake pubic hair and stuff. It was sort of goofing on uh, uh, being naked uh, and hosting the show. And, uh, you know, it it always went down and was fun
1: in in terms of promotion. So uh, I think people get a kick out of that. Uh, Do you think there was a chance that any of this was planned or allowed to happen?
5: I doubt it. You know, when I looked up uh, Will's suggestion about the soy bomber from uh, back in 1998, the Grammy Awards. I mean, this this was a guy I'd forgotten all about this, that Mm. uh, he sort of stood next to Bob Dylan and he had soy bomb sort of spray painted on his chest to make some sort of statement about, uh, you know, green food or or something. And uh, uh, this certainly was not planned. Bob Dylan was playing a song and this guy was goofing on him standing just, you know, three feet away. So, no, I don't think a lot of it is planned.
1: Uh, Are you surprised, considering with what happened with Will Smith last year, that there isn't more security? It seemed, and it was I know it wasn't very long, but usually when these people come on stage, somebody goes, oh my God, someone's on stage who isn't supposed to be, and immediately somebody's following them to get them off. It seemed to be a little delayed.
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And and I'm sure the security was much tougher uh, this year at the Oscars. I'm sure it wasn't just that donkey that, uh, uh, you know, Jimmy (laughs) Kimmel brought out uh, that that they would have had uh, security people there just to make sure people just weren't stepping in front of people because, you know, I mean, that was an assault, you know, that would actually – wasn't that funny if you were Chris Chris Rock, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. All right, Bill Brio with his TV critic and author. Uh, the streak, the naked protest, the slap, whatever you want to call them, but uh, that's what we're talking about the next day. Bill, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
1: You know, if if you weren't comfortable with uh, us talking, spending the first half hour of the show about naked people running around, uh, maybe you're more comfortable with this, or perhaps even worse. Um, We certainly have heard all of uh, the concerns, allegations, and just how the tide has turned in regard to the Chinese Communist Party's interference in life in Canada, and while there's mountains of concern and uh, and evidence of this uh, in recent canadian elections as we'll hear later in the show there's also a worry that this might lead to mistrust and mistreatment of chinese canadians we've heard a story from last week where chinese canadians are speaking out and saying we've been telling you about this forever and nobody's really uh paying too much attention how do we find the balance let's bring in charles burton senior fellow center for advancing canada's interest abroad at the mcdonald Lurie institute and is with us now charles thanks for the time i hope you're well good to speak with you Scott uh, last week or a week before we were hearing from Chinese Canadian organizations who've been saying they've been complaining about this sort of activity interference for an awfully long time um, we hear the Prime Minister using race racial allegations when questioned by a journalist in regard to uh, election interference and and one of his candidates how do we keep that these two things separate how do we make sure we air our concerns and uh, whether it's election uh, meddling whether it's uh, the chinese communist party how do we keep that separate from labeling uh, people of chinese descent who are living in canada many who have fled there to come here for a better life just like every other immigrant how do we do this
6: well i think that you know there's no question that the Chinese Canadians are Canadian, and therefore they're loyal to Canada. You know that that sort of goes without saying. I mean, there are lots of people who have come to Canada from terrible regimes. Uh, you know, from say Iran or Russia, or you know, they they come here for a for a freer and better life, and they leave the other country behind. So. The idea that we would have a foreign influence transparency act that would require people who are in positions of public trust uh, or have been in positions of public trust to declare if they are receiving benefits from a foreign state doesn't really relate to accusations of racism against any particular ethnic group. You know, you we are getting quite a lot of high volume political stuff out of people like uh, Senator Yuan Pao Wu or uh, Minister Mary Ying. And, you know, they're saying, oh, this is like the second um, uh, anti-Chinese legislation, or at least that's what the Chinese uh, propaganda is putting out, trying to suggest that a foreign influence transparency act would be morally equivalent to one of the most shameful pieces of legislation in Canadian history, which was the 1925 uh, Chinese Exclusion Act, which, you know, banned all Chinese from moving to Canada. There really isn't any comparison. And you can't help but think that the people who are uh, trying to to smear the idea of a foreign influence transparency act, including, as you point out, uh, representatives of the Chinese community here in Canada have something to hide. I mean, why is it that they don't want to have their... Um, foreign sources of income and benefit made publicly known so that we could detect if they might have any conflict of interest if they start to promote positions that are sympathetic to the agenda of China and Canada. So I think it's a bit of a snow job. um, And I I really don't think that, uh, that it's about racism. And I think that there are so many Chinese Canadians who feel that suggesting that this would be about racism does in fact itself foment racism i mean let's face it that's the
1: really that's the really frustrating thing here charles is because there's there's people who are trying very very hard to make sure that they're doing the right thing and information is getting out and yet there's others who uh, uh, some may say are in the same camp but are far from it that are doing the exact opposite to 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 sidetrack anything that they're the others are trying to do
6: yeah, I think that that's what it comes down to. And I mean, the bottom line is my suspicion is when the law goes into effect, as in Australia, that most of the people who will be required to reveal that they have been um you know non-transparently receiving benefits from a foreign state primarily china will turn out not to be ethnic chinese but you know other other ethnic Mm -hmm. groups um you know because those are the people that the chinese are most interested in engaging with people who have influence in the policy process and so you know this would go a long way to explain why all of the stuff that's come out in the CSIS reports that have been revealed by the Global Mail and Global News have not been acted on because there are people within our system who the Chinese have convinced to just set aside concerns about China's malign activities in Canada. And if they don't uh, identify themselves as being what the embassy would refer to as unfriendly to China, that there will be rewards for them in retirement. So, you know, I think that that. If we can just clear up this issue of of um, people secretly receiving benefits from a foreign state, that would go a long way in addressing these other concerns of non-action by government uh, with regard to very serious allegations made by our our security agencies about activities by Chinese diplomats and their agents in Canada, which you know violate our law and shouldn't be allowed to continue, particularly if they're trying to influence the results of elections. You know, even if it didn't have any significant impact on the election, we just shouldn't tolerate illegal activities around yeah. our democratic process. You know, it's, it's a it's a no brainer. And I think relatively easy to clean up if there's a political will to just address it.
1: And it seems that this is resonating with Canadians because the majority appear to um, support a, a public inquirer of some sort that gets to the bottom of all of this. Where does this go, uh, Charles? Are we do you feel confident we're ahead of this curve? At least now we're talking about it. We're aware of it. The work of Sam Cooper and and, uh, and Fife at the Globe and Mail and such. Do you think we're ahead of this or is this so interwoven that, you know, it just is going to continue?
6: Well, I mean, certainly it looks like the government's trying to to delay and defer activity on coming up with the legislation. I mean, Australia has had this legislation for some time it has been effective in discouraging political figures from receiving benefits from the chinese state you know it's sort of embarrassing to to show that you're you're essentially operating on behalf of a foreign power when you're supposed to be loyal to canada oh. and when the australian legislation came through there's absolutely no evidence that it led to any increase in racism in australia so you know the question is really why don't we do it. I think essentially what's going to happen is if we don't see the government acting on this, that, that we'll probably see more and more of these reports c- coming out of CSIS or the the Intelligence Assessment Secretariat of the Privy Council Office that, that will be released because the people inside the system who know that there's something seriously wrong here won't allow this matter to drop. I mean, if you were a professional... Uh, intelligence officer, and had warned the government about information that you had derived in the course of your professional work, and then found it ignored and thrown into a filing cabinet, and they locked the the door, and you know, lock the lock the shelf, and lock the drawer, and throw away the key. You you know you feel pretty ticked off about it and might be inclined to take the risk of violating your commitment to secrecy to, to try and get some movement on it. And I think that's the situation we're in. So I don't think it's going to drop, but I think the government really hopes it will and that nothing will happen before the next election and people will eventually move on to other things. But I think this matter, as you say, has got enough concern out of ordinary Canadians that we want to get to the bottom of it and you know we won't let the government snow us forever and i think another
1: election charles will just draw even more and more attention to this if it hasn't been rectified by that time uh charles burton with a senior fellow center for advancing canada's interest abroad at the mcdonald laurier institute as always charles thanks for the time be well yeah you too it,
6: scott i'm sure we'll there'll be more on this one coming up Take absolutely care.
0: when there's an issue scott is all in on getting to the heart of it this is hamilton with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News Today's Talk A
1: pretty exciting day for watching the world spinning When you think about it, you've heard us talk with uh, McMaster about their uh, new dose CubeSat project, basically a experiment they are sending up into space uh, to the International Space Station. And I'll let them tell the rest of the story. But pretty big day today. Stephen Ch- uh, Stephen Chung is with us, instrument scientist with the McMaster New Dose CubeSat project, and with us now. Stephen, thanks for the
4: time. I hope you're well. Hi, Scott. Nice to meet you.
1: So, Stephen, uh, it must be a pretty exciting day for uh, everybody at Mac, seeing this come to, uh, you know, time and time working on this, seeing it come to uh, the launch and, and all of this work coming together. What has happened today? Where are you in the process now?
4: Oh, my. This is a really exciting day for us. We have been working on this project since uh Early 2015, and right now, uh, many of our um, our team members are, are in Florida to see. We're going to see the launch uh, on on the beach, uh, which will be very exciting. And uh, for me, I'm at McMaster University to will see the lip stream, uh, which also very exciting as well. So when does it actually lift off? So we uh, so the plan, I think, will be 8:30 this mm-hmm. night. Uh, But depending on the weather and other uh, situation, they may delay or change, but we are going to see that. So does at this point, Stephen, it look good for that launch time? Yeah, so far so good.
1: So what it must be like for you and the team to, as you said, work on this thing since 2015 and then see it literally put into a, a rocket and sent off into space. That must be incredibly rewarding for the team.
4: Yes, for sh- absolutely, we have over one hundred fifteen students and uh, and uh, um, about several faculty members enrolled in this exciting project. Uh, we have spent a lot of day in uh, the labs to test the instrument and also lo- our e- uh, mechanical team, e- electronic team, uh, they work all and many other team they all work really hard to put together every component. And we overcome the challenge we bring from uh, uh, we had during the pandemic, and and finally mm. we are here today to see this going to the space uh, to the international uh, space station, and we hope they can accomplish the goal that uh, to measure the radiation in the uh, in the in the space, which will help us to understand uh, more about the space radiation. Uh, and we are use that data to help us to plan for the deep space exploration in the future.
1: All right, so let's go a little bit there, uh, Stephen. Uh, this is about the size of a loaf of bread, I'm understanding, and the objective here is to test the effect of radiation on those who will go into space for future uh, longer voyages. How do you do that in in, in what you
4: have created? Yeah, so we have a very special instrument on board, our new satellite, which is we call cmt So in the space, we have uh, many different type of radiation, like a charged particle and a neutron and a gamma, right? So that this instrument can distinguish charged particle and the neutron using uh, very special coincidence techniques. So we are able to map the radiation uh, coming from the charged particle or from the neutron particle separately. So they will help us to understand what kind of those from charged particle and the neutron particle uh, specifically for our astronaut so we can protect them better.
1: So this has a duration of about one year. This uh, b- before it, it it succumbs to uh, to the atmosphere and such. When do you start receiving information from it? Do you receive that almost immediately? Uh, does it take a period of time? How do you get the information back?
4: Sure. So so we will wait. So the our new dose satellite will come to ISS and then a uh, couple uh, wait for. Uh, the space, uh, the space station, to deploy them to the orbit, and our at the masser. We have our ground station, which will receive the signal coming from the satellite in a in a daily manner. So once the satellite pass our uh, rece- receptor region, then we can receive those uh, uh, trans- the satellite will transmit data to our ground station, and we'll get receive the data, and we can analyze the data. I'm
1: guessing that's gonna be a a pretty special moment as well when that first happens.
4: Yes, so we have built our ground station, our control rooms. All of them is prepared for uh, the real uh, mission operation.
1: What an incredible story. Stephen Chung with those instrument scientists with the McMaster Nudos CubeSat project. Uh, a bunch of them down there right now waiting till tonight to watch this actually, this project actually be launched into space and then eventually hook up with the International Space Station. Stephen, fascinating story. Thanks so much for the time.
4: Good luck. Thank you, Allah, Scott.
1: All right, uh, this is just coming in out of the BBC. A Russian fighter jet has collided with a U.S. drone. Uh, this is a pretty big drone, too. <laughs> Man, it's almost a plane. Uh, causing the unmanned U.S. aircraft to crash into the Black Sea, so says uh, the American military. It says the drone was on a routine mission in international airspace uh, when two Russian jets tried to intercept it. The U.S. European command said Tuesday's crash was a result of an unprofessional act by the Russians. Russia has said the drone crashed after a sharp maneuver and denied that the two aircraft uh, had made contact. The Russian Defense Ministry also said the U.S. aircraft was flying with its transponders turned off. Uh, they are the communications devices that allow the aircraft to be tracked. What does this mean? Does it mean anything? Let's uh, bring in Arl Brown, professor of international relations and senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto, and is with us now. Arl, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. How significant? How significant is this? Are all this latest information that we're getting?
7: Potentially, it is quite significant because this has not happened before. Russia forced down an American unmanned aircraft, and as you pointed out, this is not some uh, toy store drone. This no. is the MQ-9 Reaper. They can cost up to thirty-two million dollars. It is a very sophisticated unmanned aircraft it is uh, therefore something that changes the picture tactically and the question is whether this was something that was decided on at this uh, tactical level uh, in uh, the Russian military forces or whether this was something ordered directly by the Kremlin we know that Vladimir Putin had become more and more hands-on and the reaction both of the Kremlin and of uh, Washington are really instructive as to what uh, they hope to achieve and what they hope to avoid.
1: Uh, The fact that there was no transponder working on board or anything to signal what it was, does that mean anything or is that uh, that window dressing, is that uh, lip service?
7: This is a Russian claim, so we have no way of verifying if if Mm. that was the case, it would be unusual. If uh, they would not have had a transponder working because this is an aircraft that is very valuable and uh, this is not the first time that uh, manned and unmanned American aircraft has been harassed. But we have almost two opposing goals here. The Americans really want to de-escalate this. They do not want to create impression, particularly the Biden administration, that this will lead to a conflict directly with Russia because support for Ukraine is softening, especially in the Republican Party. You can see it on news programs, such as uh, uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox, who's very influential with the, the more extreme elements of the Republican base and so the russians will uh, play on that the biden administration wants to therefore de escalate but still deter they have used terms such as unsafe and unprofessional rather than that this was a deliberate shooting down or forcing down of an american aircraft the russians on the other hand uh, want to use subtle threats threats of escalation because they know that can weaken american support they want to deter united states from helping Ukraine or escalating the help that provides to Ukraine. But they do not want an escalation that leads to an actual conflict with the U.S. and NATO because they know that they would lose.
1: Is it just, uh, are we just to assume that if Russians see a U.S. drone or if U.S. sees a Russian drone or balloon, they'll just take it out of the sky? Is it, is any of this coincidental?
7: This was flying over international waters and it was over the Black Sea. The Russians have tried to make the Black Sea into a Russian lake, but the Black Sea is largely international waters and it has been important for NATO. It is important for the states bordering the Black Sea to ensure that the, the Black Sea is an international sea body. And so this was not shut down or forced down over sovereign territory of any state. It was something that is meant to be protected by international law. This is why it's so dangerous, and the Americans have called in the Russian ambassador. That is uh, not an insignificant diplomatic step. At the same time, however, the Biden administration is very keen to play it down, and the Russians uh, uh, are willing sort of to go along with it by saying, well, we didn't really... Uh, shoot it down or force it down. This was just uh, some sharp maneuver, as you uh, uh, pointed out, but the evidence that we have so far is that this was an incident that took place over a 30 to 40 minute period. So there was time to communicate. Uh, The Russians apparently, the fighter jets, uh, tried to dump um, fuel on this drone to improve the the propeller's functioning. And so this was not some strange accident. This was at least at the tactical level planned by the Russians. Uh, That's
1: scary enough. Well, what point does it move to manned aircraft? I mean, this is a very fine
7: line here. It is a fine line because this is about as close as it gets to a manned aircraft. It's almost the size of a fighter plane. It uh, carries weapons. This one may have been unarmed, but it has very sophisticated capabilities. It can fly at 50,000 feet in uh, altitude. Uh, It is uh, uh, something that cannot be mistaken for... Some kind of inadvertent act, like some balloon floating because of uh, the wind. Uh, this is mm. a very clear navigational path. And so the Russians uh, acted uh, in an extraordinarily reckless fashion in this case. And we will have to see what the later American reaction will be. If the Americans merely play this down not to escalate, at one level, it can be understandable. But at another level, it sets a dangerous precedent because it may embolden the Russians. So we'll have to, therefore, see if the Biden administration will take some other more subtle steps to tell the Russians, you have miscalculated and you've made a huge mistake. And One of those steps would be to approve Poland handing over MiG-29 fighter aircraft that they have been ready to send to Ukraine, but the United States has been reluctant to allow Poland to do that. That would send a strong message to the Kremlin that this uh, kind of move is not going to get them the results that they desire, that is to intimidate the United States, uh, divide the West, and prevent Ukraine from being able to defend itself. Aral Brown with us, Professor of International Relations
1: and senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Aral, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you for having me on.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. uh,
1: We've certainly been talking a lot about uh, China interference in Canadian life, specifically around election, the last two election campaigns, and everybody calling on uh, the prime minister to call a public inquiry. Instead, we have a rapporteur, uh, which is to be named later, uh, Tasha in principal and navigator, author of The Right Path, and her latest in the National Post, uh, Jagmeet Singh, pull support for Justin Trudeau's Liberals and is with us now. Tasha, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
3: I'm doing well. Happy March
1: break. <laughs> Back at you. Uh, you know, uh, Jugmeet Singh said uh, before the rapporteur was announced that uh, he was behind every other opposition leader as saying that there needs to be a public inquiry. Shame, shame, shame. All that sort of uh, stuff. And yet within the same breath said, but if there is a rapporteur, I would like a uh, a say in who that gets to be or, or that we should have a say in, in who that gets to be. H- yeah. How do you describe how, how do you how do you justify how does he justify playing both sides of the fence the Way he is here.
3: Well, I think that um, he's <laughs> he's been playing both sides of the fence, really. And I would say since the last election, and yeah. uh, trying to you know claim victories for the NDP while keeping in power a government that you know has so much to account for, and now so much more to account for on the China file, as you put it. Um, I think that uh, his, his his rock in a hard place. Is that Jet meet Singh knows that if he does pull the plug on the government. He is not going to probably do better of the next election than he has done so far. Um, mm. And that's the reason it's basically political interest that is preventing him from doing what I say is the right thing and saying, mm. you know what, enough is enough. Uh, we're not getting the public inquiry. This has now escalated not only to the level of a national security issue, but it's also, you know, the I'd say the, the penultimate ethical issue, the prime minister, is not coming clean with the public. How can you say he has the confidence of the House? Right? You can't. Um, so – it's totally hypocritical to keep him there.
1: Um, many say and have said for years that the Prime Minister had a view, a soft view on China, uh, and and now with all of this, uh, despite talking tough, will not call a public inquirer, inquiry. Does this not look, make it look like he is benefiting from this? Does it not make it look like he is the one hiding? And with so many people uh, pointing the fingers in this direction, How can he not? What has to happen next? What shoe will drop?
3: Well, there's a couple of shoes. And this is what I I said in my column today. Um, The first shoe is that Joe Biden is coming to visit. (laughs) Joe Biden's coming to Ottawa Mm on the 23rd uh, of this month. And the, I mean, we just had the announcement of AUKUS, which is the uh, australia uk US alliance to counter Chinese influence and infiltration in the world. Um, it's a military alliance, but it's also a strategic alliance in many other ways. Canada's not part of that, right? There's a reason we're not part of that is we haven't done our part. So there will be an expectation, I think, when Biden comes here, that Trudeau will have to step up his game. The U.S. is not, you know, appreciative of the fact that we have a soft link, so to speak, or the weak link, right north on their northern border, in terms of Chinese infiltration uh, into various spheres of life. So. Will he make some kind of announcement? Will he go further? He said he won't call a public inquiry, but are there other things he's going to do? So that shoe will drop. We'll see what he does. Um, and I think the reason he will also do something is because he wants to stave off what could happen in a confidence vote on the budget. Only well, like 28th. That's the second shoe. Right. There will be a confidence vote. And if he hasn't you know, demonstrated sufficient strength against this threat, which is a very real threat, um, then there's no way you can say he has the confidence of a House to continue. And also the fact that, you know, there's other, there's other stuff coming. There's more stuff constantly. Sam Cooper, Global News, Bob Fife, they're all on this in various yeah. ways. So he will have a death by a thousand touches if he doesn't do something.
1: So you think two uh, important factors coming up are the visit from Biden, and you believe he will press uh, Justin Trudeau on this issue of China interference and the fact that the, bub- uh, the budget requires a vote of confidence?
3: Correct. Yeah. And I don't think it's also coincidence that all this stuff is happening and coming out in advance of these two things, because hmm. uh, you know, we, like you said, it's been on the boil for a very long time. Um, and, but these leaks are not just coming from CSIS. These leaks are coming from international intelligence, other foreign intelligence agencies, including the United States. So there's an, another agenda at work. Um, you know, it sounds, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. Unfortunately, I wish it were because uh, then it wouldn't be true. But we are seeing a great dissatisfaction in our allies, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, Canada is not part of this alliance. We're, we're, we've been essentially left out in the cold by our, our Five Eyes partners.
1: Uh, the, uh, uh, the rapporteur or whatever sort of committee investigation that will lead to whether we need a public inquiry or not just delays and delays and defers and such. Are, are the Canadian people going to be happy about going into another election campaign whenever it happens? If this stuff hasn't been rectified, if, if, if we don't have some more transparency, how, how are Canadians going to feel about the next election? Uh,
3: well, you know, we've had quite a few elections in the last six, well, seven years. And I think that's partly, you know, people there's election fatigue, but at the same time, there's a certain point where it just becomes, you know, too much to, to handle. And I think that, uh, you know, the fact that this government's been propped up by the NDP, um, that they're dragging this out until they said 2025, I, you know, people there are a lot of real concerns. Inflation, you know, is probably more on people's minds than foreign policy, let's be honest. But at the same time this kind of stuff is also it it gets to people's sense of trust right and if they can't if it if trudeau breaks so much trust that people turn away from him he's going to get pressure also from within his own party to maybe take that walk in the snow that could then push the election to later because they would be in a leadership situation and so there's all sorts of strategies and options and things that people are looking at as to how to prolong the life of this government but i think ultimately there will be at some point. They'll have to. There has to be an election, and the longer it delays, too, if people feel that it's being dragged out just for political gain, I think they will also pay a price for that.
0: Uh, uh,
1: that was my next question. Will he take the walk in the snow, or <laughs> and, and let somebody else run this through the next election, or will he be determined to fight to the bitter end?
3: Well, strategically, if the polls and if the sense is that. He becomes an albatross for his own party, which I think he's starting to be. Then the pressure will come from within as well. And the the political strategy some people are talking about is, okay, they'll have the budget. He'll prorogue the House so there is not a confidence vote on the budget and then resign. And then you would have a leadership. And like I said, during a leadership time, traditionally, you don't go into an election because the party has an interim leader. You don't You don't do that. You allow the party to elect a new yeah. one. That would buy them time.
1: What can more be done? What can Jugmeet Singh do more to uh, to solidify uh, dental care and, and bring pharma care? Is there anything? What else can he use this to his advantage?
3: Well, you know, that's his, that's his claim here, is that he's bringing in policies the NDP favors by pressuring the government by essentially holding them hostage and saying, yeah, if you don't support yeah. this, you're out. And he talks very tough on certain things. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it was also the, like I said, the fact that his party will not be in a better position after the next election. It may well be in a worse one. They are not, you mm. know, rolling in money in the NDP to have an election. So it's a bit of a fool's bluff, right? Um, <laughs> to say that you know we'll get these concessions. And the thing with getting concessions too is you don't get the credit. That's the irony here. I mean, the dental care program will be touted by the Liberals as their achievement, yeah. not the yeah. NDP.
1: Uh, how does Pierre Polyevra balance all of this and not seem as angry as others are?
3: (laughs) Well, he's, he's going to be angry. Um, it's it's a technical term for that is rage farming, which I'm not a fan of. Um, he used it to great effect during the leadership process and he's using it, you know, subsequently too. Sorry, Tasha.
1: what, What did you call it? Tasha?
3: Rage farming. It's called rage farming, rage farming. rage farming, rage farming in political <laughs> circles. Um, he has brought out uh, to his credit some very, very good points on the foreign security issue on China and the need to, uh, you know, toughen our stance and to, you know, root out infiltration and have an inquiry. He's been very, very strong on that and strong in the House. He's also been strong on inflation. Um, but, you know, the party has also suffered some setbacks and It's not been a smooth ride in terms of public opinion. He hasn't, you know, the the party's up in the polls, but when you ask people preferred prime minister and negatives and positives, he still hasn't gotten as much traction as you would think under the circumstances with a leader like Trudeau who's still in power.
1: Tasha Kieriden with us, principal at Navigator, Navigator, author of The Right Path, and you can read her latest in uh, the National Post. Uh, Tasha, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. You
0: too. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML.
1: All right, by-election coming up for Hamilton Center, the seat vacated by Andrea Horvath, which she ran for mayor. That's coming up March 16th. Um, We've been trying to get on all of the candidates, and if you get one on, you have to give everybody equal time. Uh, We've had on the Greens, we've had on the Liberals, uh, the N. NDP and uh, Sarah Jama was booked last week and scheduled to be on yesterday. However, uh, within the last uh, half hour of her appearance uh, yesterday, uh, they cancelled and gave us no explanation. We haven't heard from them since, and they're gone, and the PCs have never jumped on board anyway. So, we got two of the four uh, on anyway, doing the best we can to at least uh, try to provide some uh, information. Obviously, uh, in the last few days, uh, lots of controversy and attention. Uh, around the NDP candidate, uh, whether it's in regards to Israel or uh, defunding the police and such. So it's going to be fascinating because this is traditionally a stronghold for the NDP. Is it her seat to lose? Let's bring in Henry Jasik, professor of political science McMaster University, and is with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, Scott. So your thought on this, Henry, uh, we've got a, a stronghold, traditional NDP seat here that was uh Andrea's before her running for mayor and we've got a very polarizing candidate here is this her election to lose
8: oh oh for sure i mean this this is generally would this seat would be seen generally as uh, going into the by-election as one of the safest if not the safest seat for the Ontario New Democrats so yeah if they lose it this is going to be a big blow to the uh, NDP and i think it will you know basically point out that uh the problems they're having in terms of uh, candidate selection, I think it's pretty clear she's not a a strong candidate.
1: Um, Why would this be, how did we get here? How did they get here? Because, again, this is a stronghold. You want a strong candidate uh, Mm -hmm. in there to continue this legacy. How could this have happened? How does this, uh, because I, I believe she went uncontested.
8: Yeah, I I don't quite I I really don't know the uh, quite what the decision making was, although I must say, you know, before she got into the controversy and tried to solve what is probably the most difficult problem in the world that is Israeli and Palestinian relations, she yeah. <laughs> which she shouldn't have talked about, uh is, is she, she you know, she's disabled and she's very articulate. And yeah. making the argument that we need to uh, do things that make life easier for disabled people. And I just think that would have got, a, you know, a lot of people would have said, yeah, I, we agree with that. And, she's, and she'd be very articulate on that. But wandering into international relations in Middle East uh, politics, uh, you know, that just turns people off, especially when somebody's <laughs> running for the Ontario legislature, which has nothing to do with the peace, uh, peace work down in the, the Middle East.
1: And you know th- that—that's my main point here, Henry—is that many people think that politicians are just totally disengaged with mm-hmm. what the top few issues of the day and what the average Canadian family has to suffer f- uh, through during, you know, post-pandemic era and stuff. And and many are thinking they just have no idea. And when you're talking about issues such as these, which you know are are important issues, but f- way farther down mm-hmm. uh, the list than than affordability or healthcare or such. Uh, Again, I mean, it, it seems a lot of candidates get distracted this way.
8: Yeah, it. it I mean, you, you have to. I mean, if a party is, is basically trying to put out good candidates, basically you have to send them what we call, what they call oftentimes candidate school. And they just sort of say, well, these are our policies and these are the policies that the, the voters want to hear about. And so we're going to give you some training to make sure you're you're giving the party position in a way that's attractive to the people in in that particular riding. And we look at Hamilton Center. We know what the big, you know, what the issues are. Homelessness is really a big thing. You know, we want to get the people off the streets. They need to be in housing. Uh, If you do that, uh, get them off the streets and put them in some type of housing, their health will probably improve. And probably their mental health will also improve, which, and, and those are both two very big issues. So, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, the, the, uh, can, the NDP candidate knows about those issues and why she wandered away from those, those issues which are very important inside her writing. I, I just don't know.
1: Are you surprised the party let her do this because even you know with the, with what happened yesterday they canceled on us in the last minute. It was a pretty shoddy note, no real explanation and such. Uh, it just didn't seem to be very organized. And you know I interviewed Merritt Styles the new leader uh, and she seemed like just a firecracker and and you know uh, she's gonna she's gonna I think be a good strong leader for them. It just seems surprising that after that we end up with this. Yeah, and, I, know, and I don't mean that personally on the candidate, but just someone who is so controversial and such a lightning rod.
8: That's right, and and especially, uh, you know, offending, get, jumping on an issue that's going to offend, and using language about that issue that's going to offend a lot of people. Uh, but the NDP has had a real problem, uh, not only in this case, but the previous two elections, where they have not had good candidate candidate selection. You know, the, the last, I mean, the people doing the candidate selection, for the NDP you know over the last two elections and now this one you know they they have not done a good job i mean it's you know i've studied studied these organizations going back in hamilton going back to the 1960s and I have a pretty good idea of, of what the parties think are a good candidate, and oftentimes the NDP is not. I mean, uh, you know, they've been making mistakes. They made a terrible mistake, and they lost Stony Creek because they got rid of a very popular MPP. And if they wanted to get, really get rid of him for personal reasons, they should have done it way before the election, and they do it right before the election. I mean, there's big mistakes and there's other writings. Brampton, they made mistakes uh, where they didn't support one of their, you know, a really very good uh, MPP they had, and they threw him. Them- they threw him to the wolves, and he got beaten. I mean, that should never have happened. And there's other writings the same way. It's just that uh, that's a problem now. In, in this in this particular by election, we have actually, uh, you know, uh, probably the best candidate, local candidate, is the is the um, liberal candidate. She's very articulate. She's well known for writing very interesting columns in the in mm-hmm. the Hamilton Spectator, and 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 really, in some ways, uh, you know, very interesting because she tackles controversial issues without getting people upset uh yeah, she's yep. very skilled that way her big problem is the, the ontario liberal party is in a real mess i mean it it yeah. is it it, 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 it it just can't get the uh, mpps M- 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 elected they they're not an official party now they ha- weren't an official party after the previous election they're they're really in a deep in a well and i don't know how they're going to get out of it and they're going to pull down their candidate the conservative candidate seems like a nice fellow, a uh, police officer, very good. But of course, uh, he doesn't show up uh, to talk to anybody, at least uh, on the media or where the media is going to be present or any group is going to be present. As far as I can tell, you know, what he says is he he's, uh, he's out, you know, uh, visiting people on the doorstep, where you know most of the people are not going to have have any uh, difficult
1: questions for him. All right, the by-election coming up March 16th, and uh, who knows? Henry Jasik with us, professor of political science at McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, same to you, Scott.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
1: All right. um, um, I don't know when we really started taking or paying more attention to this, um, but Leger polling now suggests uh, most Canadians trust uh, recent election results but are very concerned about interference and want an inquiry into what is going on. And, you know, we should make perfectly clear off the top, there was never any accusations that the election was, was fraudulent in any way that the election outcome would be any different at all. That is not the issue here whatsoever. The issue is, uh, was there interference by the Chinese Communist Party and who knew about that prior to not the last one, but two election campaigns? Where are our heads? Is this resonating with Canadians? Let's bring in Christian Bork. Oh, I'm goofing here. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm. Uh, no, I know. I I was teeing up. That's exactly what I was doing, Will. And that we'll uh, we'll get to that coming up after the five thirty news. All right. Um, the Ontario government. And we talked about this the other day, and man, it's amazing how uh, things have changed. Not only the direction of the show when the host gets back on the page, but also uh, just on how we've turned on a dime when it comes to our auto industry. I remember it wasn't that long ago that uh, the closure of the uh, big Oshawa. General Motors plant. It looked like that was a done deal. Nothing was going to happen. And then, of course, slowly things started uh, generating new chatter um, between the unions and governments and the and the car companies. And the next thing you know, we're building EV plants. And now uh, this latest uh, information, uh, Volkswagen, is uh, building an EV manufacturing battery plant in the St. Thomas area, uh, which is a great, great asset for not only that area, but also also the Ontario Auto Industry. To talk more about all of this, Dr. Greg Mordue is with us, the ArcelorMittal Chair in Advanced Manufacturing Policy, and Associate Professor with the Booth School of Engineering Practice and Technology at McMaster University, and is with us now. Greg, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well. I'm glad I'm not having to talk about elections. No. <laughs> I thought,
9: I've oh, done- well, I guess I can do this for five minutes. <laughs> I, can't do it, I can't do it anymore.
1: <laughs> you know what, Greg? I've done the same thing to other guests who are thinking, man, i got to talk about this. How am I going to do it? All right. Uh, thank goodness, Greg. I just asked the questions. Uh, how big a deal is this for Ontario? There was you know, chatter when Oshawa went down that this was it. Everybody was questioning whether that was the end of the Ontario auto industry. What are your thoughts on where it is now?
9: Well, I think this is a uh, a real win for uh, Canada and Ontario. I mean this is probably more significant than just about any of the other announcements that's come down the pipe over the last couple of years in terms of the auto industry. I mean we can all uh, you know there's been lots of chatter and lots of talk and lots of discussion about the rebirth of the Canadian automotive and manufacturing industry insofar as EVs being built in in, uh, in Oakville and uh, EVs being built uh, in, in, in other, uh, in other uh, OEMs or original equipment manufacturers, automaker plants in Ontario. But at the end of the day, every five years or so, a, a vehicle model needs to go through a cycle change, and a, and a, and a new model is launched. And, and really, with the exception of the battery plant in Windsor, and now this new plant in uh, in in St. Thomas what, for the most part what we've been celebrating are model changes the only difference is that these model changes and there's a lot of work associated with it but the model changes happen to be for vehicles that will be powered by by uh, batteries rather than traditional internal combustion engines the the St. Thomas announcement is significant however and it is different and it's and it's primarily it's a new automaker to canada and there hasn't been volkswagen in canada manufacturing anything since uh, since the late 1970s so so to the uh, 5 oems in canada we now add a Volkswagen, so it's significant in that
1: regard. So, you know, I never thought of that, Greg, but you're absolutely right. Not only the EV connection and working on the batteries as well as the assembly, but this is a brand new car company to Canada.
9: Yeah, I mean, it's it's and and so. I mean, they've got fifteen hundred acres that has been that have been accumulated in the uh, old municipality of Central Elgin, I believe, and and being swallowed up by the by the uh, city of Saint Thomas, which is a which is a lot of work in 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 and of itself. But to accumulate that land and to designate it for right now, I mean, we're looking at it uh, as purely uh, Volkswagen, but we don't know what's going to happen down down the line, and uh, I mean do they do they need 1500 acres for a battery plant probably not does volkswagen would volkswagen want to have 1500 acres for a battery plant probably they would because make automake, automakers would prefer if the, the choice is between lots of neighbors encroaching on your on your on your activity and no neighbors automakers will say no neighbors every time i mean mm-hmm. The uh, the Toyota plant in Cambridge, for example, is on 400 acres, makes about 300,000 vehicles a year. The Toyota plant in Woodstock makes about 250,000 vehicles a year, but they wanted a 1,000 acres there because they like to have that separation with their neighbours. And so I don't know over the longer term what uh, the plans are for the full 1,500 acres, but uh, It's fun to speculate.
1: Uh, VW in their press release said uh, the reason for choosing us, uh, natural mineral resources, uh, close proximity to, and a clean supply of uh, electricity, of energy in order to do all of this. Is this enough incentive to get others to follow?
9: I don't know if I mean that's what Volkswagen said because yeah. frankly that's what the province of Ontario and the and the government of Canada have been selling. That's an industrial narrative, but what's the real reason? They're not, you know. We, that may be the reason. We may never know the real reason. What happened? Well, the
1: real reason probably is Greg. Lots and lots and lots of subsidies. So I mean, I guess that's a given, isn't it? I mean, and lots um, of people are c- complain about that. Which is, should we be doing this to be a part of this?
9: Um, there's lots and lots of subsidies but subsidies are only one small part of the equation and and it and and what are the subsidies going to be we're not sure what they what they're going to be yet but i would i would bet that at a minimum they're going to be a billion dollars and and it's uh, and it takes your breath away but that's 3 years of uh, of um of of labor costs probably for the uh, the factory it's frankly it's probably 30 years of labor costs at a uh, or more at a uh, at a fa- if the factory was located in Mexico, so subsidies get you invited to the party, but your message has to be a whole lot more persuasive. Hmm. And 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 we can talk about about clean uh, clean energy. Is it you know that's 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 an important message from the province. We can talk about critical minerals, but minerals those critical minerals. Which we're really having difficulty getting out of the ground. Those critical minerals, if and when we do get them out of the ground and pull them out of the ring of fire or wherever they're going to come from, they can be shipped across, they can be shipped across the border as well. So there's got to be something else. And frankly, my sense of, my sense of this, having watched this stuff over the years, having participated in this stuff over the years, um, is that, is that the province of Ontario, and the government of Canada and the and the politicians made a very compelling case that they want Volkswagen here, that they want Volkswagen's investment, that they will that they will that they will fall over themselves to make that company successful in the province of Ontario and the country of Canada. And that's All an right. important role. That's an important role for uh, for politicians. And frankly, we haven't seen that in a long, long time. And and I give uh, both I give the, both levels of government full credit for doing that.
1: Dr. Craig Mardue, with us, I'd like to continue this conversation, Greg, Associate Professor, Booth School of Engineering, uh, Practice and Technology, McMaster University, Volkswagen's uh, EV battery plant coming to St. Thomas. Greg, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. All right, lots of chatter of late in regard to uh, Chinese Communist Party interference in Canadian life, uh, most specifically in uh, regard to interfering with elections, specifically the last two. Uh, I want to make something perfectly clear. I don't think anybody at any point has has ever said that it would have changed the outcome of the election in any way. Uh, I'm not sure that accusation has ever been made. Uh, Obviously, the election results are what they are. However, there is mounting evidence that uh, in the last... two elections that uh, there has been interference and that government officials knew about this. Now, is this resonating with Canadians at all when you think about uh, inflation, the cost of living, health care, and all the other myriad of problems that are facing Canadian families nowadays? Let's bring in Christian Bork, executive vice president, senior partner with Leger Polling, and with us now, Christian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
10: I'm happy to be here. I'm doing great.
1: So, Christian, what are your thoughts? Where are Canadians' heads, uh, at this point? Are they paying attention, uh, to the, uh, the stories of election interference?
10: Yeah, I I would say more or less, uh, even though we've been talking about this for the last six to eight weeks, uh, at least, uh, still a third of Canadians, 33 percent, said they had not heard about this issue of foreign uh, intervention into our elections, which surprised me because even though it might not be our number one priority with the cost of living issues that you mentioned and so on and so forth, um, still, it's not, you know, in terms of being on the radar of Canadians, certainly not the number one issue.
1: It certainly seems to be something that opinion has changed quite recently, quite quickly, uh, quite quickly, even from uh, the views that the prime minister has been expressing. Uh, Is it going to take time for them to catch up to this? Because it seems this has all really come to a head in the last few months.
10: Yeah, there's a couple of results in the survey that I think should should worry us as a society. Uh, when we ask the question, do you generally trust the results of elections in Canada? 69% of Canadians say yes. Mm-hmm. 20% of Canadians say no, I do not trust the results of elections. Uh, if we would have asked that question five, ten years ago, which we don't have a comparative because – Who would have asked such a question 10 years ago? But today, it seems anyways, that it's now becoming an issue uh, for more and more Canadians. And it's no stranger to what we've heard in the news about uh, uh, potentially Chinese and and foreign intervention uh, into our elections. Remember, in the U.S., there was a lot of talk about Russian intervention in the 2016 presidential election in the U.S. as well. So, I mean, only 69 percent of Canadians trust the results of our elections. I, I don't think we would have ever seen a figure like that. 510 20 years ago.
1: It's funny you should say that Christian because again that's still the majority but not what you would have seen uh years ago. Do you think Canadians uh, obviously uh trust the elections and and think that this was or the last two were were uh were accurate elections? Mm. Do you think that they believe that there actually was interference? Do we have those numbers?
10: Well, when we asked among those who had heard about the issue uh, uh in the survey we said do you think that the the intervention, what we've heard about the intervention, uh, was you know, limited to the point that it doesn't really affect the outcome of the election anyhow? That it was minimal intervention, if we want to call it that. That's forty nine percent of Canadians who had heard about the story. Thirty three percent, fully a third, said know the intervention was important enough that it compromises the legitimacy of the results of the election. So clearly, it's a it's it's a signal to the Liberal government uh, out there that. Canadians need clarity on this, even though a majority still are on side. Mm -hmm. That's not enough. I mean, this is uh, trust in our election uh, in in our sort of elections and and the fairness of those elections should be something that nobody questions. But yet now it's coming under scrutiny. One thing that's interesting is those who doubt more, those who who don't really trust elections right now tend to vote on the right. They tend to be conservative or uh, People's Party of Canada supporters. The only area where there's no or that the results don't fall along partisan lines is when we asked, should there be an independent inquiry, public Mm. inquiry into this issue? That's where everybody agrees and everybody says the same thing. Yes, there should be an independent inquiry into those allegations um, in Canada. 72% 72% of Canadians support that. It's 71 for those who would vote liberal, it's 78 among those who would vote NDP, 79 among those who would vote conservative, base 89 among those who would vote for the Bloc Quebec well, for that matter. So everybody agrees regardless of who you would support that we need a public independent public inquiry into this matter now because we cannot go on questioning our elections in the future.
1: And how surprised were you, Christian, that, you know, you see most of these numbers, as you just read them to us, fall through traditional, fall under traditional party lines, and yet when you ask the question, should there still be a public inquiry, all of a sudden, boom, everybody starts pointing in the same direction.
10: Well, it it, it tells us anyway that, that Canadians just want clarity. We want yeah. a non-partisan, independent inquiry that will, you know, allow us to put this behind us and hopefully... Uh, to trust that this will not happen again
1: uh so uh, m- many have said that with the process with a rapporteur and whether they decide to call a public inquiry into all of this th- this all takes a lot of time and keeps pushing things back and pushing things back we already have alleged interference in the last two elections are C- Canadians going to sit back and 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 take the status quo into the next election or do you think there's going to have to be some sort of resolution before we even get to another election <laughs>
10: well that's the well that's the magic or or issue with minority governments, like we don't know how long yeah. this government will actually last. And these public inquiries—I mean, there's a whole range of different types of inquiries that could be put into place. Some actually take a lot of a lot more time. Some can actually be somewhat quicker if it's done within the actual confines of the parliament we have now. So, uh, but I believe Canadians will want resolution before they actually go next to the polls. Uh, but. Whenever that is, uh, it could be within the, the the next year. It could be within the next two years. And can we actually have an independent inquiry that will sort of um, hand its report and recommendations before that? Uh, anyways, I I kind of doubt it.
1: Can the Liberals, do you think, continue to move this down the field, or do you think that sooner or later, push is going to have to come to shove and people are actually going to want a public inquiry? I mean, if you've got 72%, um, what do they accept instead of that?
10: Exactly. Well, I I, I think the course of action is fairly clear. I mean, all that we've heard, depending on the story you're you're looking at, this might have involved – some intervention in eight or nine writings. And some people say maybe up to 11, but I mean, it's still sort of a, 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 it's not a benign thing, but it's not something that affected the actual outcome and and, and sort of the color of the government we have now. So we might as well go to the heart of this and figure out what exactly what happened. Uh, Because I think this is something that they will, that the electorate will hold against the liberals uh, if they fail to act
1: christian bork with us executive vice president senior partner with leger polling a new poll suggesting that uh, over 70 percent of canadians want some sort of public inquiry to find out what is going on with election interference christian as always thanks for the time be well hey my pleasure
0: you're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
1: It's fascinating. Um, we're having people on social media accusing the Toronto media of interfering in Hamilton's elections uh, when talking about the stories uh, surrounding Sarah Jamma, And that on the other extreme side of the political spectrum, we have people accusing Hamilton media of not penny uh, saying enough about this and not covering the story at all. Uh, i just like to say that we've tried to have all of the by-election candidates on. Two have accepted, two have not. Uh, And with the case of Sarah Jemma, she was in last week and then at the last minute yesterday pulled the plug and decided not to come on, uh, obviously due to the controversy that is uh, surrounding that. And better to lie low, I guess, than uh, come on the air and talk about it. So either way, we got extremism on either side of the the spectrum here. And uh, where is the center in Hamilton Center? I don't know. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host. To the Scott Radley show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You can read him there. And coming up after the six o'clock news, Scott, how are you today this fine day?
2: I'm okay. So, does that mean you did not get an apology or an explanation?
1: uh, neither myself nor Liz or Will got any notes or correspondence from the NDP or the Sarah Jemma camp as to why they canceled, and it was just it. Uh, well, I'm sure half it's an coming. Hour I'm sure it's still coming. <laughs> They're drafting it out now. It's hilarious, though, how uh, people were trying to get this in without much chatter, without much controversy, because by-elections nobody really cares about. Uh, but this one's obviously a high-profile because it's Andrea Horbath's old, uh, old seat, and obviously there's a lot of Legacy there, a lot of tradition there. Um, so you get half of them people saying, you know, Shh, sh, 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 don't say anything. You're you're being racist. You're 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 not. It's it's out of your lane. It's none of your business. And then you got the others that say, hey, why aren't you covering this? Why aren't you doing more about this? So this is going to be a fascinating election to watch. And I believe
2: it's the NDP's to lose. I, I would agree. And so my next question, Scott, is if the NDP wins, if Sarah Jamma wins, as I expect, uh, understanding it would seem that camps lack of interest in being on chml if they make a political announcement of something in that camp will you cover it or will you return the favor and say hey you're not interested in being on so you don't need your big announcement covered
1: no, I don't do that. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, they're doing it for their own reasons. It's not personal or, or whatever. So no, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys like, uh, you know, Matthew Green who wants to boycott the whole radio station because he doesn't like what a personality or two have to say. I mean, I just don't believe that. I think we cover all ends of the spectrum here on, on the radio station. Uh, and if it's news, we're going to cover it. But again, this was supposed to be a real sleeper of an election and it's, uh, it's become anything but that. And this seat was uncontested. Nobody even challenged. And, uh, I'm surprised. After they elected Merritt Stiles as the leader, she's, um, you know, she's a, a pretty uh, prolific uh, leader and, and certainly aggressive. And, you know, I think she'll be a great leader for them uh, in, in getting their points across. I'm surprised that they let this happen where, you know, they, they lost the narrative of the story somehow.
2: Well, we'll see. Uh, you know what? We'll we'll see where this uh, where this election goes. I mean, as as I said to you yesterday, one of the things that I still am waiting to see is does anybody does anybody come out and vote in this one? I mean, the 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 early balloting was so low that it was ridiculous, and I just you know it's March break and it's winter and it's a by election, and I think a lot of people just assume that it's the NDP's riding to win. I. I don't even know what like 30% is a low number, 28% sometimes in there, like that's a really low number. Would it shock you, Scott, if the number in this one came in below that? Wouldn't shock me at all. Um, I'm going to, I'm saying
1: you're going to see the opposite. I think that, um, I, I think over the last few days that this has generated enough interest that people will, I'm getting notes about strategic voting. So uh, you know, I, well, we'll I think we'll see. I think this, I think this has in in only in the last few days, like since over the weekend, I, I think this has really started to resonate, and people are wondering, like, what the heck's going on? You want a candidate that that stands for these things and doesn't come on to explain themselves, and 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 you know, kind of got caught in the activist protest extreme, you know, extremism stage, as opposed to well, what are you going to do for Ontario? What are you doing for Hamilton? How are you representing Hamilton in all of this? Uh, and and you know. Again, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be surprised if this doesn't go, if this doesn't change. Well, put we'll it, this see. Way. It, it, it won't surprise me if it does change.
2: And we'll, that? we'll see. And and maybe you're exactly right. And maybe all this talk will have changed it. Let me, let me back my course. Then, had all this not happened, I would have for sure said I would have expected lower than thirty. Now, yeah. I, I still wouldn't necessarily be shocked. I don't really know which way it'll go, and that's that's a a curiosity to me. But th- this has been. Uh, boy, I, I mean, if we were going to gauge this one up until the last few days, if we were going to gauge this on the excitement meter, it was somewhere between a yawn and a coma. I yeah, mean, like yeah, it was, yeah, there was yeah. nothing, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was interested in it. It's so, you know, maybe, maybe what's, maybe the controversy and what's going on in the last few days, maybe this has been the best thing possible that there's even some discussion about it.
1: All right. Uh, we'll certainly know March 16th is uh, is Election Day. And if you're
2: entitled uh, exercise, your right. It will probably count more now than ever. Scott uh, Radley. Yes. yes. Uh, you know what? When they say every vote counts. Absolutely. I would say in this particular case, for the reasons we say. If you're one of those skeptics who says, ah, it's just a you're right. I would say in this particular one, well worth your time to getting out and casting a vote.
1: And I can guarantee you right now, all sides are uh, hitting the campaign trail pretty hard uh, over the next couple of days trying to drive this mm-hmm. home. Uh, Scott Radley coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your spectator. Scott, thanks for the time. Have a great show. Thanks, Scott.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 900- C. And online at 900CHML.com.
1: That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word.
8: When these women are running across the stage, flashing their boobs, you can see more boobs in the costumes or the dresses that the women wear or with a cleavage than you could see what was running around the
0: or be more enticing than what was flashed. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Take that.